0: From the book of Genesis, chapter 4, from verse 1 to 14 and verse 17. At the end of the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, Thanks be to God. Genesis 4, 1 to 14, and verse 17. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I do not know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you walk the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the land, on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain made love to his wife. and she became pregnant, I gave birth to Enoch. Enoch was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you very much, David. And uh, good morning, everyone. Nice to see us. And also, if you are here with us for the first time, we are so happy to have you with us. We've been going through um, a series. I think this is the third. It's a five-part series. This is the third part of a series. And it's looking at something that the... Bible sees as very important. Um, I would say the world, uh, people who won't believe as Christians will see as important, they just won't give it the same name. It's a very important issue. As Christians, we call it sin. Others will call it evil. Um, But, you know, a way of saying what is wrong with the world. Now, I want us to go into the third part of this, but before we do that, can we just pray? Heavenly Father, we... Ask now that you visit us, visit us, show us your son, and glorify uh, your name through us in this word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would manifest your presence with us this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. Let me ask. Um, still a relatively young congregation, so I'm not expecting for us to answer this question with a yes. But how many of us have recently? When last did you carry out a heart check, a check on your heart? All right, let's see the old people here. Uh, yes, you can, you can tell, you can tell. You can tell. I would not say the people were the kind of yeah, yeah. You can tell the the senior the senior citizens. <laughs> well that is that. I've just talking a heart check. Well, now without. Without even trying to be near being a senior citizen here, I did mine about three months ago because my heart was feeling a bit funny. You know, the thing we know is this. After a while, you start to know that our hearts are really important. Our hearts are really important. Why? Because if the heart is not functioning properly, you don't get enough oxygen. If you don't get enough oxygen, it affects uh, your breathing. If your breathing is affected, you get weak, all of those different things. The reason why people do heart checkups is really because of the central place it plays in our physical well-being. To have a badly functioning heart is to have a low quality of life. Here's another question. Have you ever been heartbroken before? Now uh. uh, Lumide wants to talk now. <laughs> <laughs> have you been heartbroken? To which somebody saying, ah, heartbroken, can heartbreak? But you know what I'm talking about. Because here, I'm not talking about being used in another way. A few of us, myself included, uh, were heartbroken exactly one week ago when we had the terrible news of Kobe Bryant's death. And so some people were saying, nah, well, you never knew the person. I just if you don't want to mourn, don't mourn. Leave the people that are mourning. There's a reason. And I say that in particular because I remember last week's sermon um, if I'm very honest, last week's sermon, one of the driving forces of last week's sermon was actually what I had seen about Kobe Bryant and his daughters in a, lo- in a long time. In fact, I was thinking of bringing an illustration from that, but I couldn't because of time. And So I remember when I got the news. I remember I was with, um, I was with, uh, I was with Moses, Moses and someone else, when a car, and I, I totally just lost it. I remember listening to interviews, at least two or three interviews this year that Kobe Bryant gave. Now, that's just a figure that inspired someone. But some of us, it has, the heartbreak has come as a result of um, romance. Or it has come as a result of friendships that we've had. And we know what that feels like. So when we're talking about heartbreak in this regard, of course we're not talking about our physical well-being. But we know that heartbreak is something that is really important. Maybe some of you are thinking about the person who dumped you back way back in secondary school or university because you know in secondary school you shouldn't have been dating anybody
0: <laughs>
1: or university you still not let them let them go <laughs> let it go no but when we talk about the heart in this regard we're talking about the central place it plays in our emotional well-being you see, in both cases, we understand that we're using the word heart. Even though we're using it in different ways, we're saying the same thing. That the heart plays a central role, uh, a central role in our lives, whatever its particular usage. You know, and that We like to talk about the heart of the matter. So when the Bible speaks about the heart most times, even though it's not speaking about the center of our circulatory system, neither is it speaking about the center of our emotions the bible is also speaking about the heart as the center of something what is it the center of our spiritual existence jesus says that the heart speaks of and the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks you know that when the bible speaks about the heart almost always it's speaking about the headquarters of our worship, the headquarters of exactly who we are. And what that does is that it is the driver of our thoughts, the driver of our emotions, and the driver of our will. I'll say it again. It is the headquarters of our existence which drives our um, uh, our thoughts, our emotions, and our will. As somebody has once said, he said, whatever the heart worships, the mind finds rationable, The emotions find desirable, and the will find doable. Which brings me back to our series. In other words, you cannot adequately talk about sin if you are not talking about the issue of the heart, how sin affects the heart. And so today, we're going to be talking about the predatory nature of sin, how it destroys us from within but how we can combat it with the gospel. And we will do so from the perspective of the heart. So that brings me to three points under this sermon we've called, Sin is a Predator. So the first point, a hardened heart. The second, a new heart. The third, a purchased heart. A hardened heart, a new heart, and then a purchased heart. So let's go with the first point, a hardened heart. Now, in our first sermon, we looked at Adam and Eve, and we saw how Adam and Eve, though created good, eventually fell, and they fell into sin. Satan tempted them. Now, going forward, they've been banned from the Garden of Eden, and so now they have two sons, as we see in verses 1 and 2, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel have done well. They've been trained well, so they have jobs. You know, it's not good to be in your parents' house that don't have jobs. These ones, they're there, but they have... Jobs, all right? But they have two different kinds of jobs. Now, after a while, what happens is, as we see in verses 3 to 4, they bring the offerings from their labor, they bring it to God. However, while Abel's offering was accepted, what happened to Cain's? Cain's was rejected. And so by the time we get to f- verse 5, we see that Cain is very angry. Cain isn't happy. Can we just say it as it is? He's not happy about it. And so what does happen? In verses 6 to 8, God speaks to Cain. Cain won't listen. And eventually, Cain murders his brother. And so by the time you get into the first four chapters of the Bible, you're already reading about two tragedies. Can I ask you an age-old question? I don't know if you've solved it. Why was Cain's offering accepted or rejected? Why was Cain's offering rejected and Abel's offering not? i try and to prove it from the Bible. Don't just give me from your... It's hard, right? We, 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 we're not quite sure, but let, 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 let's examine this first. Some people say it's because we know that offerings were going to be by blood. So it was, Abel's offering was an offering of atonement, but Cain's, just with fruit, You know, and uh, the crops of the ground wasn't. Now, I don't think that is the right answer. Why? Because the Hebrew word for what they brought, offering, mina, is really a thankful offering, a thanksgiving offering. It's a gift of gratitude. So it wasn't a gift, sacrificing or or paying for someone's sin. It was a gift of gratitude. In other words, even at this time, they recognized that without God's graciousness, there would be no productivity in their work. So the way they are recognizing that God is the one that has enabled them to be productive is to bring something from that and offer it back to God. However, how many of us know that it is possible to do something outwardly, but not mean it inwardly? Hmm? Have you ever thanked somebody for something, <laughs> but inside you're just to people. Thank you. You know, but, you know, you just have to say it. I don't know if a beggar has ever come to meet you. They're begging, please, God bless you, everything. I don't have, I don't, God bless you, everything. I don't have waka. <laughs> inwardly, they meant something that was different from what they were doing outwardly. Now, sometimes we are not able to see it, but God doesn't only see what we do outwardly, He sees what is going on inwardly. Proverbs uh, 21, verse 2 says this. as A person may think their own ways, that is their own actions, as a person may think their own ways are right, sorry, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord does what? He weighs the heart. So when you look at both of them bringing their offering, we say, well, that's good. But God looked at Cain and said in verse 7, what you did was not right. And when you look at it, we say, how does he know? Because God doesn't just look at what we do outwardly. He looks at what? The heart. So in own eyes and in Cain's eyes, it may have been right, but the Lord who weighs the heart says it is not right. In other words, Abel's offering was consistent with what was true and what he believed in his heart about God. That is, Abel actually believed in his heart that God was good, that God was gracious, and then from the flow of that belief in the heart came that offering. Cain, on the other hand, was, they told me that I should be offering. They told me I should be offering. I don't even know why I have to give it to God. Is God even good? Is God, do you understand? But we shall have to do it, shall And so he brought that offering. On the outside, looks good. But on the inside, his heart was not consistent with what was going on on the outside his heart had believed something a lie about God whilst his while his actions and his will was doing something else do we understand that that is why in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 we see that at the heart of this thing was one that had faith the other did not have faith by faith Abel brought God. By faith, it's not just saying he's believing God. It's by faith, he's believing what is right about God. And his actions display that. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And so the issue with Cain was an issue of a heart of unbelief. But what we see further with Cain is that, and also sadly with many of us, is that over time, if you have this unbelieving heart and the wrong decisions are made, things can get worse after. And they do get worse. Now, growing up especially uh, the 80s and, no, 90s, not really, but 80s, but maybe early 90s, the the films were popular in Nigeria, but films came, Nollywood wasn't really a thing, you did theaters and all of those. But films came, the films that were most popular came from two different places. No, not in the United States of America. We got films from the United States of America, but there were all these grade B. I don't know if you know what grade B and grade C movie. Do you, you ever watch American Ninja, yeah. uh-huh, Michael Dudikoff? People like that, you're like, I could act better than this guy. <laughs>
0: That's
1: the truth. Go and watch it again. You'll be like, my god. So we had terrible American movies. But the ones we loved the most were yeah. Indian movies, right? Indian movies, Dhamendra, yeah. Amitabh Bashan, you know? somebody, uh, those kind of things. All right. I don't know what they do now. Now it's also polished and all this. Uh, how did you ever watch an Indian movie and not cry? Like the Indian movies I see now, everybody is smiling and happy. That's what you, just, you carry your tissue, you don't be crying, crying. So we have loved Indian movies. The second one was Chinese movies. Who cared what they were talking about? You just loved a good, I was almost about to use the word that I'm not going to, a good butt kicking. All right? They just, you know, that's why we love Bruce Lee. We love Jackie Chan. Again, terrible acting, but we didn't care about the acting. And as time progressed, you know, people say things get better with time. But it's not always. Things sometimes get worse. I think Chinese movies, once they started focusing on the acting and good scripts, then things started getting bad. (laughs) So I think in the year two thousand the peak of all of this was one useless movie, uh, a Chinese movie. I don't know how many of us saw it. It's called this. Crouching, Crouching Tiger. <laughs> he didn't yeah, I know that's what you say. You see, you are bought into the Kool-Aid. It was a bad movie. Because, actually, it was a good movie. Do, do you see, see exile? Exactly? Yeah, it undermines... W- and just leave that. All right? But, you know, with that, I'm not going to get into a narrative about the movie. But the, the, that, that, that phrase, the title... Crouching tiger, hidden dragon is actually a Chinese idiom. It's a Chinese idiom, which basically tries to teach you something, it says, um, don't underestimate people that have hidden talents. They're like crouching tigers and hidden dragons. Somebody say, that's me, that's me, (laughs) it's not you. (laughs) But don't underestimate people that have hidden talents. They are like crouching tigers, hidden You may not see them coming, but they are waiting and they are waiting. If they get an opportunity, they are waiting to pounce. And in verse 7, God says, sin is like a crouching animal. Waiting to pounce. Don't underestimate it. It may look very, what's the word? It may look, you know, ordinary, I've got this, sin is waiting, it looks like a pet, but sometimes pets all of a sudden turn around themselves, isn't it? Sadly though, we often don't see it that way, and this is where sin gets us, because remember it is a predator, it is looking for a prey, and quite often we are the prey. And when we don't heed God's counsel like Cain, certain things start to happen. Let me show you. You know, in Nigeria, Lagos, we like to talk about levels. You understand? I'm going from one level to another level, right? So you can see me now, right? If you saw me three years ago, right? If you saw me three years ago, there was a certain level I was on. But right now, you know, that time I was fermi to some of you. But right now, I'm on another level. So you hear me? This 2020. Stop calling me Femi. You understand? Right? I am Pastor Femi. But two years from now, you can't even just call me Pastor. It's not, it's not good. Because by that time, I'll be an emoji. <laughs> right? And then five years, because you know women did um, vision casting, uh, vision boarding, what you see yourself in five to ten years. So in ten years from now, then I'll be Gio. Bishop. <laughs> you understand? By that time, most of you will have left because you say, How can I? I knew him when he started. Well, at that time, I won't need you again. <laughs> there will be like 5,000 people. Because understand, there are levels to this. There are levels. Talk to your neighbor and say there are levels. Tom, <laughs> so, please remove that side from there. Uh, <laughs> because there are also levels to sin. You may think, oh, sin is sin. Yes, sin is sin in qualitatively, but sin isn't sin quantitatively. There are levels to sin. Just like cancer is cancer, but you have stage one, stage two, stage three, and stage four. With sin, also, you have different levels of the progression of sin. And the different levels come as a result of a process called hardening. Hardening. The heart becomes harder. What is the main result of hardening? The main result of hardening is increased self-centeredness. But the only way we are able to design it, that is the main expression of hardening, is what? Increased on repentance. I'll say that again. Sin has levels, and the levels, the degrees of sin as it progresses, goes through a process called hardening. The result or the core of this the, of hardening is what you call self-centeredness. But the way we are able to perceive it and see the expression of it is called is increased on repentance. And if you ever want to learn about increased on repentance, you can almost hear Cain saying, "Hi, my name is Cain, and welcome to my masterclass in on repentance." Because Cain shows us in five stages what this thing is about. Notice, how does it start? In verse 5, A, Cain and his offering, uh, God looked at Cain and his offering, and he didn't look at it with favor. So in other words, the very first sign of unbelief we see here was that Cain offered wrongly. His offering was wrong, right? He offered wrongly from an unbelieving heart. We've seen that. But the second thing that happens is this. God tells Cain about it, but rather than Cain change and turn around, what does he do? He indulges in self-pity and misdirected rage. Notice he said his face was downcast, and he was very angry. Stage two, he has progressed. The third thing was he then allowed his anger to build over time without mastering it. God was telling him, master it. He didn't listen. And so that thing grew more and more. I remember Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, if you call your brother Raka, thou fool, you have murdered. Because even though you haven't killed him, the seed of the thing that enables someone to kill someone is already there in a heart that disdains somebody. And so Cain did not allow that thing. He didn't master it. It continued to grow and grow and grow. So that at stage three, what happened? The hatred in his heart had now turned into murder. But when confronted again, because now you think, okay, you've finally been hurt. When he's now confronted again, where's Abel? Do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? And so when God then delivers his punishment in verse 13, what does Cain do? Cain is now sad about his punishment, not about his sin. My punishment is too much for me. It's more than I can bear. After all of this, God does not wipe Cain out immediately. He still gives him a chance. He gives him a chance. And so hopefully Cain will now eventually change because of God's mercy. By the time you get to verse 17, Cain is now building a city. Name it after the God that gives and provides for you. He named it after his own son. There are levels to this. The core is self-centeredness. Its expression is increased on repentance. You see, the reason why we continue in self-absorption, let me tell you why. It is so hard for us not to repent. It's one word. Why we are so self-centered, one word. You know what it is? Discomfort. Discomfort. And it shows its way. This lack of genuine repentance shows its way in two ways. You can either not repent, unrepentance, full-blown repentance, or false repentance. Let me show you. When we have discomfort, it expresses self-centeredness by deflecting the issue when caught. So imagine someone, as has, often been, as has often happened, let's say a politician was caught having an affair with someone that was not the wife. You know what somebody who does not want to repent immediately does? Said this was an invasion of my privacy. He gets angry that people have invaded his privacy. Now, don't get me wrong. It is not good to invade someone's privacy. Do you understand? But there is something worse going on. But do you see what he has done? He has misdirected his anger from the sin that he should be looking at, and he's misdirected it towards something else or someone else. Why did I eventually commit adultery? It's because my husband was never caring for my needs. He never told me he loved me. Why did I rape? It's because she was wearing skimpy clothes. Do you understand? Misdirected. So that you don't deal with the real reason why you sinned. Because James tells us that the reason why we sin is not because of external temptation. External temptation only catalyzes your ability to sin. The reason you sin is what? The evil that is inside. And so we come through this in unrepentance. We get angry about something that doesn't have to do with the core of why we sinned. But if you are a Christian and you are savvy enough, you know that it's not good to do that. So you find a middle ground. It's called repentance, sort of, false repentance. So what happens is you are caught. Remember, there are 10 commandments that God gave, but you should never. He gave 11. He told us 10. The 11th one, don't break, which is don't get caught, all right? So if you break all of them, 11 commandments, don't get caught. So you get caught, and you've been a Christian. Now there's nowhere to hide. So what do you do? You express sorrow a couple of times. After you express sorrow the first time, the second time, so you you, you express sorrow to those close to you, you express sorrow a bit publicly, and you express sorrow publicly again, and then you express sorrow to those who are close to you. After that, you say, ah, four times is enough now. Are we still bringing up this issue? Why are we still talking about it? Can't we just move on? Well, you see, the heart that is trying to say, let us move on, is exactly showing you that the person has not plumbed the depths of their sin. The reason why, because if you don't want to, if you don't want to go through the depths of your sin and you, you start counting how many times you had to rep- uh, apologize or repent, the reason why you did that was you were sorrowful not because of the sin. You were sorrowful because of the embarrassment. It's the embarrassment. And so the embarrassment, hopefully, is going. Once the embarrassment goes, then what's the, why, why, why are we talking about this sin again? After our God is merciful. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 7. He had written a letter to the guys. It was a hard letter. It made them sorry. And Paul says, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry. I'm not happy because you were made sorry. I don't like seeing you sad. But because your sorrow, because of what your sorrow displayed, it led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. In other words, there's a kind of sorrow that God does not intend. You became sorrowful as God intended. And so he then explains that Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But there is another kind of sorrow. It's called worldly sorrow. It looks like you are repenting, but you are not. And ultimately, it moves and moves and moves, and it takes you eventually to destruction. And he says, Godly sorrow works out. It produces something. John the Baptist said, bring forth the fruit of repentance. But worldly sorrow produces something else. You don't want to plumb of of sin. Another way of seeing false repentance is, again, in the place where the consequences of your sin meets your own self-absorption, rather than, again, I say repent, you can even throw a pity party self. You know, like Cain was, You just look at me, look at me, look at me, look at all that's happened to me. You're not sorrowful about how people are seeing you. You're not sorrowful about what you did to others. Which is why, You see, the Bible eventually what the judgment that King gets is that he's separated from the presence of God. That's what he says. Let me tell you something. What do you think about those who eventually land in where the Bible calls hell, God's eternal judgment place? How do they feel there? If people are in hell, do you think they would rather want to go to heaven? There was a guy called, Jesus told the story about a guy called Lazarus. He was a beggar. He's in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31. He was a beggar, um, a beggar, but I think, but a believer. And he was a beggar by the house of a, a rich man, we don't know his name. And that rich man, you know, enjoyed life. Lazarus didn't. Eventually, both of them die. Their, their faith is in two different places. Lazarus is in paradise with Abraham, and then the rich man is now in a place called Hades, a place of torment. Now, at some point, this rich man is able to see Lazarus at Abraham's side. He's with Abraham, and this is what he says in verse 23 and verse 24. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. If you read it further, it gets worse. Notice what he's doing. First of all, he still could not recognize Lazarus as a person. Even in eternity, Lazarus was somebody that he had to send. This was not, this was not the only time he said, Tell Lazarus to come and dip. Because Lazarus is only good for one thing. You know, beggars now, they are meant to serve us. And after Abraham refused this one, he said, He can't, there's a casim. You know what he said? Send Lazarus to my, my brothers and sisters. All of this he's doing while he's in what? Agony. But also, notice, he's asking Abraham to have mercy on him, to pity him. Why? Because he's a sinner? No, because of his punishment, his discomfort. And so what does he want? He wants relief while he is in agony. Let me tell you something. Let me put it another way. He wants relief because he is in agony. Notice what he is not saying. He is not saying, Father Abraham, I wish I could come and be at your side. In other words... There is no one that will be in hell. They will not want to be in hell. They want to get out of hell, but don't mistake that for them wanting to be in heaven because they don't want to be there. Because the only way they are going to get into heaven is to look at themselves, admit they are wrong, and that is how they cross over. He is not ready to look at himself, but he's able to look at his agony. He wants to be relieved of his agony, but he doesn't want to actually repent. Even while he is in agony, eternal agony, do you see that there are levels to this? I am begging you, if you are in any kind of sin and you are unable to look at yourself. Please see what sin does. Because Cain became the gift that kept on giving to sin. It kept on feasting on him. I hope sin isn't feasting on you. Because it never leads to a good place. To always keep looking elsewhere and not looking at yourself is absolutely dangerous. The process of hardening doesn't make things better. It either makes you not repent or it leads to false repentance. In either case... You are worse. You are just meat for the devil and he just keeps feasting on you. Anytime we indulge in unrepentance and false repentances, I can tell you straight away, it's a sign that like Cain, the crouching sin has leapt upon you. It's feeding on you now. Again, if you are such a person, with all the passion and compassion I can feel in my heart, don't remain since prey. Takes me to my second point: a new heart. You know, one of the interesting things about growing up in Lagos, growing up in Nigeria, is you learn, you don't even know what it is. But there's something that disciples us that makes us Nigerians, uniquely Nigerians, particularly Lagosians. Maybe just a few of us don't know what this is, but there's something that uniquely makes us Nigerians. It's one word. You know what it's called? Condition. You know what condition is? Let me explain what condition is to you. Condition is what happens when somebody has a car that is falling apart like the, the, the paint is falling apart, it's rusting, and you know, you know what you need, right? But you know what the person does when there's a lot of rust and it, it takes it to a panel beater and you know what they do And the spray printer, they spray over it. And the guy is happy that my car has been solved. Or oh, this is another one I think we know. It is, when, you know, ah, man, condition me, God help us. You are watching TV, or you are watching DSTV. You carry the control. You do like this, the thing delays. You do like this, the thing delays. What do you do after? Eh? You open the thing, you do like pa, pam, 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 you put, ah, it's working. After like two weeks, it starts happening again. You know what you now do? You now remove it, you now rub it on your own. You put it inside, it, talk to your neighbor and say, it's condition. It's condition. And the funny thing, and, and I'm serious about this. I'm talking to parents now, especially parents of children in primary school and secondary school. The funny thing is you start this thing from the very beginning. Your child has a pen. The pen is not working. They are writing on it. What do you do? When the thing is, is beginning to fade, they remove the ink. They do like this. What does shaking do? Has it put more ink inside? Tell your neighbor its condition. Condition. You bite the battery. Look, they say you bite the battery. There are levels even to condition. (laughs) And so what happens is we feel that you can improve upon something that is already failing. And so when somebody has a bad heart, I mean a bad heart, physical heart, and the person's quality of life is dropping, 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 even though they say put this valve in, do this... At the end of the day, we know how to solve this problem. You know how you solve the problem? It's called a heart transplant. That's the real way you solve the problem. A heart what? Transplant. Because if you give the person a new heart, what happens is the person gets a new quality of life. Ancient Israel... who had God's commandments. They could see God's commandment. They read God's commandments. He gave it to them through Moses. Time after time after time. Most of few times, they had kings and leaders that led them well, but time after time after time, they were sinful. They were sinful, 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 terrible people. Until the time where God both judged Samaria, took them into exile through Assyria, and he then judged Judah and Jerusalem, took them into exile under Babylon. And then there was a prophet that God spoke to, because you think everything is now, finally collapsed. What happened to God's promise to David that his throne would last forever through his lineage? And so the prophet Ezekiel, who was a prophet during the time of exile, God gave him this promise in Ezekiel chapter 11. This is the way I will solve the problem. You see, every time we try to Solve the problem by improving upon something that is failing. But what we learn is that you solve the problem at the root. A heart transplant is solving the problem at the root. God told Ezekiel, I will solve your problem at the root. God is telling somebody here who is living in sin, I will solve your problem at the root. And this is how he does it. They will return. Let me just read verse 19. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove them from their heart, I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them what? You know that's what God's saying. The answer to a hardened heart is not to merely improve on it, the answer to a hardened heart is a spiritual heart transplant which gives you a spiritual, a new spiritual life. Amen. God is saying the way you saw this thing is you go to the roots. And so what then happens is that when God gives you that new life, rather than just giving you laws, he says there is a power that comes so that you're able to keep the laws. You couldn't forsake idols before, now you can forsake them. Verse 18, they will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. The rules don't just become rules that you are keeping outwardly. From the inside, you desire to do the laws of God. And so verse 20 says, Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people. I will be their God a new heart, and he gives you a new spirit. You see, as Christians, we believe that the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is God who is with us. Yes, but God that is in us and enables us to live the godly life. Not just that we are given laws to live by, but we are given a power that transforms our desires to do those laws. With that, we are now given a right, a new perspective to live life for God with a right view of God. Do you want that new heart? Do you want that spirit if you are not a Christian? But I know there are some people here that would say, I remember being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I still speak in tongues, but I'm struggling with this sin. I do all of these things. I I can't. I pray for people they are healed, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I am, I am, you've got me. I am struggling with this sin, and it's getting worse. What do I do? Because one of the things you need to learn, I still think that's the answer, but we have to learn that being baptized in the Spirit is one thing. Being filled in the Spirit is another thing. We need to learn about how, what life in the Spirit is all about. Being baptized in the Spirit is receiving the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let me explain. I think Cain will help us here. You see, there is, in the New Testament, a way the life of sin that works in us is being characterized. One word is used to characterize the life of sin within us. And you know what it's called? It's called the flesh, right? Again, not this physical flesh, but almost this realm of sin that works within us and is trying to move us somewhere. And it says when you receive the Holy Spirit, right, when you receive the Holy Spirit, in Galatians 5 verse 16, it says this. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I do not want to continue to walk in sin. what do I need to do? I need to walk in the Spirit because that is the way. You don't focus on the flesh. I will not gratify the deeds of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and that way you will not gratify the deeds of the flesh. How do we do that? It's through two things we don't really like, just generally. One is examination. The other one is practice. You know examination, Niger, right? Examination, when exam comes, that's the time for cramming. You don't even need to understand what is there. Just do it. Examination, but remember, back to physical heart check. That's why I asked you in the very beginning, when last did you do a heart check? Because it's one thing to say, my heart is fine, my heart is fine, my heart is fine, my heart is fine, my heart is fine. How do you know? Have you examined No, I just know my heart is fine. How do you know? You go for a heart checkup, isn't it? And so what happens with this examination, notice, because it comes both in the divine and the human side. God, in verses 6, verses 9 to 10, asking five questions. He's asking five questions. Look at them. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Will you not be accepted if you did what was right? And then he says, uh, 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 um, what have you done? Where is Abel? What's God doing? God is examining Cain. He's probing Cain. He's asking Cain questions. Because remember, it's God that sees the heart. But God doesn't just come and heal us and just solve all the problems. God is working with us. That's why it says, walk with the spirit. And so God, who sees the heart and he knows us better than we know ourselves, he comes to you and he's telling you, look at, look at, I'm examining you. Can you pass this exam? What is our response? As God did it to Cain, God is still doing it to us now. He does it through the preaching and the teaching of His Word. This is why, and I want to say this with no qualifications whatsoever. This is why you should not miss church. You shouldn't. Stop trying to make excuses. I was ta- the worst excuse. I have to tell some of you here. The worst excuse you can ever tell me when I ask you. I went to church today. I had a very long day last Saturday. I had a very la- long night on Saturday. And quite frankly, let me just tell you now secret, whenever you send me that text and I say, Fine, see you next Sunday, I'm just looking, I'm like, Man, this is a baby Christian. Because what you are doing is that you are exiting and you are removing yourself from the probing of God's word. To which I want to ask, when you say, I was so tired, I went, which life is more important to you? The life that is to come of this current life. Who gave you this life? Oh, I was traveling. Ah, man, it's just been been so hard. And you expect somebody to really look at you seriously and just empathize with you. I actually empathize with your immaturity. Because God is coming. God is gracious. It was out of God's compassion that he came to Cain. And it's out of God's compassion that he provides community for you to be able to say, come, weekly, and come and hear his word. That's why in Hebrews chapter um, 4, it says this. For we also have heard the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message that was heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. In other words, when that word then comes to you, so thank you for being in church, that's step one, that's not everything. If the word comes to you, do you harden yourself against it? Do you then say, well, you know what, nobody's perfect, may I take my own, I take the one that's good for me, and I leave the rest. After all, we're meant to be barren Christians. It's true, if you have the right heart, and you're actually studying what they're telling you, and you see that there's something wrong with it, and you can show, go and meet the person. But don't leave the burying Christians alone. They've gone. Don't use the burying Christians as a crutch for when God is pointing at sin in your heart and you are running away to then say, I just leave. I take what I want. Don't allow sin to prey on you. Because this is what they did. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It is possible to hear God's voice and you still harden your heart to it. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joins marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intentions and the attitudes of the heart, the heart. But also invo- uh, examination also involves human, human examination based on the word. In two ways, self-critique. Now, let me just tell you, right? I used to say this, and I said this many times before. I remember when I was in university, many times, the worst part the worst part of my time in university, living a life of sin and all those things, you know the worst part of my life then? Was when I was going to bed that night, and I was not distracted with anybody. Because just when I close my eyes, I'm able to see my day. And I know how I'm living that isn't right. It's very uncomfortable. So I would try to get as tired as possible so that once I get to bed, I just knock off. Self-critique is hard. Asking yourself those questions. But it is the place of wisdom. It is how you walk with the spirit. Even this earlier this year, and I've told a few people this earlier this year, I had to do another self-spiritual appraisal. It was very difficult. Dealing with issues that I thought I had dealt with. Very difficult. In fact, for me, it actually involved a sleepless night. Knowing that I still was dealing with this particular sin. But if you are also critiquing yourself, don't critique yourself alone. You need Godly friends to also critique you. Are you the kind of person that has four, five friends that you know? I'm not saying they're always right, but they have the authority, they have the right to come and tell you, Femi, you are wrong. Femi, you did this, you are wrong. You know they love you. In fact, they are telling you that because they love you. Or are you the kind of person, once they do that, you start to draw away from them. And so over a period of time, you keep isolating yourself from different people. It's always nice when everybody is laughing, but once they try to say something to you, you start to draw back. Examination is never easy. But it is the way that God keeps us from that crouching sin. And be careful when you choose those friends, because there are enemies that kiss, whereas there are friends who give us what you call wounds, as the Proverbs, as Proverbs 27 tells us. I love the way he puts it. Proverbs 27 verse 6: Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but enemies multiply kisses. People that tell you what you want, they are giving you kisses so you think they are friends, but actually they are enemies. The ones that wound you are your friends, but it feels like they're your enemies. Are we understanding? Choose your friends wisely. And then finally on this is practice. You know prevention is better than cure. Yes, it's true. Go for heart checkup, but don't be the kind of person that needs to be going for heart checkup all the time because you are not doing exercises, right? It's important to do exercises. That way, prevention is better than So what was Cain good at? Cain, God told him, if you did what was right, will you not be accepted? But Cain, instead of going in the right direction, he was right to put in effort. It's just that he put effort in the wrong way. He went in the wrong direction and was putting effort there and there. So if you keep taking cholesterol over and over and over and over again, practice, have a habit of eating cholesterol, what will happen? Well done, you are putting right effort, but I'm really sorry for your heart. Whereas if you Practice trying to burn calories and allow blood circulation that helps your heart. And so if we know this principle in the physical, can it be applied to the natural uh, to the spiritual? Can it be applied to uh, godliness? 1 Timothy actually tells us that. Listen to what 1 Timothy says. Train yourself. This is, not me. this is actually in the Bible. If you have not seen it before. He says, train yourself to be what? For physical training... Is of some value for those of you who are physical training junks. Oya oh yeah, apply it. Physical training is of some value. It has value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I am saying, go to your spiritual gym. Pay your spiritual gym subscription today. It's called. Family devotion, personal devotions, communal devotions. Do you understand what I mean? He said, "Train yourself." That is the way you say. Some people say, "Oh, but well, that's religion." Yeah, you are telling me that I have to come to church regularly. You are telling me I have to practice generosity. You are telling me that I have to, I have to go through examination. You are telling me I have to continue praying. All of those is just works. Ah, yeah, it's just religion. Ah, yeah. you see, if you are saying all of these things, I'm telling you, the devil has got you where he wants. Let me first tell you why it's not works religion, because the Bible is not against words. Let me use physical exercise again. Now, let's say you're like me, right? And so you've got all these triceps and biceps. Now, how did I develop it, right? <laughs> this, this isn't funny, so let's... Elijah, you're laughing. After you play here, you have lost your job today. All right, now, when somebody is taking dumbbells and is putting them up, he's doing all of these things, right, what's he doing? He's creating muscles, isn't it? He's creating muscles. Oh Lord, he's not creating muscles. (laughs) Carrying a dumbbell does not create any muscle. It is the muscle that is already there, it is building up. You don't create the muscle tissue inside you, you only build it up. We don't work, we don't work our salvation, we work out our salvation. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God that what? Works in you. We work out what God has already worked in us. So we build upon the Spirit's work of grace in our lives by practicing godliness. That is how you start to go away from sin. That is why your devotions are important. That is why when you consume, five amounts of content on Instagram and all of those things, make sure you are consuming 25 through your Bible, through that book, through that sermon video. Practice being godly because it holds a promise, not just in this life, but in the life that is to come. Let me finish with the third point. A purchased heart, and I'm just going to rush through it now. You know, speaking about condition again, while buying a pen may not be that expensive, and so easily we just go out, get the pen. Changing that dying car is not. And you see, that is the real reason why people try to improve on something that that is failing. It's because the alternative is really costly, and they cannot afford it. Listen, to get a heart transplant, it's very costly. It doesn't come free, and it is very costly. You know why? Because the heart is one of the most important organs of a person. In the same way, to get a spiritual transplant is very costly. You know why? Because sin is very costly. What Cain did was very costly. What Cain did had only one price. In verse 13 and 14, God says, you know what the price is? I can hear the blood of your brother. It is crying out to me. The blood of Abel was crying out for justice because justice must be served. But it wasn't just crying out for justice. It was crying out for justice and vengeance. Crying out for justice and vengeance. And this is why he was separated from God. And the way he was going, he was going to be separated from God forever. Because the only way we can pay for our sin is to continue to pay for all eternity. We will never finish paying for it. Because the one who we have offended is an infinite God. To offend an infinite God is to incur an infinite cost. And that blood continues to cry out and cry out and cry out so how do we get, how do we buy this heart, this new heart? We see what the solution is, but we feel like if we try, we can't get it. And this blood, this sin is crying out to God for justice and vengeance. Unless there was another blood that speaks something better than the blood of Abel. You see, when Jesus went on the cross and he shed his blood, the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11 says, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says that his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Notice what it's not saying. That blood still speaks for justice because sin must be paid for. But whereas Abel's blood spoke for justice and vengeance, Jesus' blood spoke for justice and mercy for those that would repent. The Spirit is costly. And Nicodemus was asking Jesus, how would these things be, this spirit that you are saying that will give us new life, that will make us regenerated, how would these things be? He said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in his wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, while all, that, all religions, other religions tell you To deal with the problem of evil and to deal with the problem of sin, you need to try harder. You need to pay, pay, and pay. Jesus saying, yes, payment needs to be made. I've made the payment for you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people, love Lagos.